Are you glad to be in church today? I got distracted because I opened my iPad and I got a, I got a text from my wife. Uh, and she said, first service was so good, you were cracking me up. She said, kill it, second service, love you. I will kill it. Oh, <laughs> oh man. He will find a wife, find a good thing. Can you say amen? Fellas, you got to take these opportunities and say amen. <laughs> he will find a good wife, find a good thing. Don't say amen. You might find yourself by yourself somewhere in this place today. I'm just so glad you, you're in church. It's, it really was an awesome first service, and I believe it's going to be awesome as well. And uh, if you have your Bibles, we are going to continue to talk about spiritual maturity. The Bible says we've got to grow to maturity. And, and we've been, we've been in, a, in the book of Corinthians on Wednesday nights. We've been kind of just taking and dissecting like four chapters at a time on, on how God was trying to elevate the maturity of this church in the city of Corinth. And I believe he wants to do the same with us today. So we're going to be in Corinthians 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to add another layer to spiritual maturity in order to be faithful and fruitful, which is what we've been defining maturity as, right? You've got to be faithful and fruitful as your true self. Like God doesn't want a, a version of you that's not real or a religious version of you. He wants the real you to be faithful and to be fruitful. Can you say amen? In order to be faithful and fruitful, a mature person needs a consistent routine. So I want to talk to you today about mature habits. You need to have mature habits because no one is faithful and fruitful by mistake. No one produces fruit by accident. You will never find a farmer surprised by what he reaped. Because he sows on purpose and he reaps on purpose. And so we got to talk about how do we reap the right fruits on purpose. Mature people have consistent mature habits that they implement to see the fruits that they want to see. You know, there's a saying, if you don't like what you're, if you don't like what you're reaping, then you need to watch what you're sowing. Because you don't want to be surprised at what you're reaping if you're surprised at what you're sowing. That's already a word in itself. Can you say amen? So, I want to propose to you that we are where we are in life right now, this very moment, based on what we have repeated over time. You are where you are in life right now, this very moment. The outcome of what you're seeing is, is what you've constantly repeated over time. In other words, we are a sum of what we repeat. That could be good, that could be bad. It all comes down to what is it that I'm consistently repeating over time? Are you tracking with me? So here's what Paul says about mature habits, right? Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 9, beginning with verse 24. He says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. Don't run to get a participation trophy. I'm so glad the Bible doesn't have participation trophies. <laughs> Verse 25, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. He's talking about the Olympics, which we'll get into in a second. 
but we do it for an eternal prize. So run with, can you say that word? Purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. Get that picture in your head. You ever see the dudes on the street corners? Shadow boxing, but you put one of them in a ring, they'll get knocked out in like two seconds. Because shadow boxing and the real thing are not the same thing. Okay. Verse 27, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. That's God's word for us today. Can you say amen? So if you're taking notes, mature habits. In order to be faithful and fruitful, a mature person needs mature habits. Because maturity happens on purpose. You must be intentional if you want to be a mature individual. We are a sum of what we repeat. So we've been studying this book written to a community of believers in a city named Corinth, modern day Greece. One of the things we talked about is how the city had this massive annual game called the Isthmian Games, which was second to the ancient Olympic Games. It was a big deal. And for them, it was, it was a festival of athletics and music competition honoring the sea god Poseidon. I told you they were highly influenced by Greek mythology in that time period. And so Paul, knowing that, and Paul, knowing his audience, he's always trying to give them pictures and analogies that, they, that would make sense to them. And Paul uses a lot of athletic analogies throughout his letters to say to them, hey, you got to approach this thing like you are an athlete. You got to approach this walk with the Lord like you are on a serious run here. So Paul uses things like, he says, you got to run, you got to fight, right? Paul says you got to be disciplined. Uh, in other, in other uh, letters, he talks about how you got to be like a gladiator because they were, they were used to that picture. It's a warfare, it's a battle. So Paul used many different sports analogies to illustrate this walk that we have with Jesus, but he never says to settle for a participation trophy. He says you got to run to win. Matter of fact, his last letter before he dies, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the race. Right? Paul says, I myself have been taking my own advice to fight the good fight, to finish the race, and to finish well before you went home to be with Jesus. Are you tracking so far? I love the Olympics, right? Happens every four years, we just had it. Every four years, these top athletes in the world converge into a country to compete over 28 different sports. But you don't get there if you're not the best of the best. And it's a grueling process to become an Olympian. My wife and I were watching some documentaries behind the scenes because I'm always intrigued by how do people excel in their craft. I always, I'm, always, I'm always intrigued by that. And we're watching the, the, the female Olympians, the, the gymnasts, which are the elite in their field. But the process of them getting to the Olympics, man, what a grueling 
process. By the way, it starts when they're like three or four years old. Like you barely will find an elite Olympian who didn't start very early in age. Right? And they begin that, that grueling process of, of shaping their entire life around this thing. Like four years, you think, see, we only see in the final product, but the, 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 the process is a four-year grueling process of regime and routine and diets and exercises and, and meats for them to get to that place. And what messed me up was that all over this nation, there's thousands of gymnasts, but only four will make it to the Olympic team. Four out of thousands of young girls who, who, who hope to get to that place. And I was, I was intrigued by some of the comments made by former gymnasts who made it to that point. And the question that has been asked over and over again is, is it worth it? Is it worth it to put your body through that routine? Is it worth it to go through all that grueling process to make it to the Olympics? And I was, I was, I was shocked to hear that some of these big time elite gymnasts are saying, I don't think it's worth it. It's too much of a grueling process and the return is very little. Like I was blown away by the fact that these Olympians, a lot of them will make it there, but there's really no money in it. Unless you are a top athlete, maybe three or four of them might get endorsements and make a little bit of money, but they have a short window to make that money. Like the moment you get a gold medal, you have a, a shell life of about like six months to hopefully make money. Like I saw one athlete, one of the, one of the runners, Lolo Jones, who, who had won an Olympic uh, uh, medal, she said one time she was, she was working in this gym making shakes and, and she's making a shake for this girl and all of a sudden they show a highlight of her winning and, and the girl was like, that's you, but you're over here. And she said that that's the reality that people don't realize. Like you, you're going through all of that to get to this place and here I am making shakes for $7 an hour. And she, the girl's confused, like, wait, that's you. Like, you're on TV, but you're over here. So it's a crazy process to get to beat to that place. This is why Paul said they are running for a prize that fades. He's like, you, you're running for something that's temporary, that is here today, but is gone tomorrow. Matter of fact, some of them will even pawn their medals to somehow make money. I watched another one, because I'm intrigued by this stuff, and they talked about the mental effect of the Olympics. They call it the Olympics blues. That afterwards, like, there comes this depression, and unfortunately, some of them have even taken their lives because of, of the grueling process and then get into this place. And then, and if you, listen, you get a small shelf if you win gold, never mind if you finish fourth, no one knows your name. No one will ever hear about the fact that you have, you have put yourself through this grind to get to this place. And Paul was saying, they're doing all of that for something that just fades. But Paul says, what we're doing, what we're running, we're running a race of eternity. He says, we're, we're, we're running a race of all races. Like, this is for the whole thing. Like, we're not running for, for something that's going to be here, gone tomorrow. We're running for something that is eternal, which is your soul. 
So Paul was like, well, much more, if, if they can put their bodies through all of that process, how much more do we need to have a focus? Because we're not running for something that's temporary. We're running for something that is eternal. If you take your notes, a mature person keeps eternity in mind. I'm not doing this for tomorrow or the next day. I'm not doing this for four years. I want to do this for all eternity. In other words, a mature believer is getting in shape for all eternity. Paul, in another letter, if you're taking notes, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, he says to these guys in this, in this city, in, in Philippi, he says, you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work in you. In other words, man, you've been giving this gift of salvation, but guess what? You got to work it out. There are things that God wants to bring out of you, but it's going to take some mature routine for you to see the fullness of what you're capable of because you won't see it if you're just sitting on it. Another version says, you got to show the results of your salvation. In other words, like you can't just say you're saved. Your, Your fruits must display that you're saved. The Amplified Version says you have to actively pursue spiritual maturity. Actively pursue it. It's not just going to fall on your lap. This is a lifetime journey. And Paul says this requires discipline of mind, body, and soul. Actually, the word discipline doesn't even do it justice. You look it up in the Greek. What Paul was saying is, Paul was, this is it's a weird translation, but from the Greek it says to strike under the eye. Better yet, to give a black eye. Paul was like, you got to punch yourself in the face, basically. <laughs> yeah, what you learn from church today? I got to punch myself in the face. Not literally, <laughs> okay? What Paul was saying is, it's, it's, it's what we talked about last week. When God told Cain, listen, this thing will either master you or you will master it. What Paul was saying is, listen, your body is not going to just submit to you wanting to be mature. Can we talk about that for a second? Have you ever tried to lose weight? And you're like, starting today, we're having oatmeal. And your body was like, word, I'm with it. Starting today, for lunch, we're going to have a salad. Your body's like, yeah, come on, bring it on. What is your body saying? Your body's like, heck no, we're not. Why would we? We've been doing this for so long. Why all of us, why are you changing things up on me? Have you ever had a conversation with yourself? This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, this is not just gonna like happen because you want it to happen. It's gonna happen because you decided you want it to happen. Right? Listen, get this, your body must be the servant, not you become a servant to your body. This is what Paul is saying. Listen, listen this, is, this, is, this is you putting yourself through a grueling process of maturity. Now let me make something clear. This is not self-flagellation. This is not like trying to earn your salvation or trying to pay for your salvation because some people misinterpret this and think like I got to like beat myself up in order to do this. That's what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, oh, you need a regime where your body submits to the, to the spirit, not the other way around. 
This is a grueling process of submitting your life. In other words, let me put it this way. This is how you work out what's already yours. Your membership is free, but you gotta pick up the weights. Like Jesus already paid for you. He paid for your sins. He died on the cross for the sins of the world. And he says, whoever believes in me will not perish but have eternal life. But, but, then, but then he says, now there are things in you that needs to come out, but it won't come out if you don't submit to a process of maturity. In other words, listen, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you everything. For those who really want to mature in their faith, it's not just going to fall in your lap. This is about self-control. We've been hinting at this, that it's impossible to be mature without self-control. This is about allowing the Holy Spirit to really get a hold of me because the, the, the other option is the shadow box. In other words, it's to pretend. Paul was like, man, we, you don't have time to be pretending that you're doing this. <laughs> I like boxing. But it's one thing to watch it on TV. <laughs> it's another thing to get in the ring. One time I was like, I told the boxer, I said, man, I, I, I want to come over, man. You're going to show me some stuff. And I'm like, after 30 minutes, I was like, I don't think I want to. <laughs> I don't. In my mind, I thought I want to. Because we, we, we love the glamour of things, but we don't like the process. So this is not, listen, because here's the thing, my friends, it's not pretending. See, immature people talk a lot. Immature people have a lot of plans but no execution. You ever meet people that always got something going on but nothing going on? There's a guy, <laughs> I won't mention names, not in this night, he's not here. But man, every time I see this guy, he's like, yo, I'm just, I'm working, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm like, you've been saying the same thing for five years, I haven't seen one thing that has come out of your, process, your, your, your plans. So mature people don't talk about it, they do it. They implement a consistent routine that will lead to fruits. That's what Paul says, like, I run with purpose in every step. In other words, there's a purpose to my routine. In other words, you must be intentional about what you want to see. All of a sudden, my family decided we're gonna grow tomatoes. I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> but man, I saw the process. I'm like, this, this is serious. They went out, got pots, got seeds. And then, and then I saw daily, the, the, the one who really took ownership of it was, was our fourth, Chase. I don't know why, but man, Chase took a serious interest. And every morning, I would see him, two things of water. Going out there and watering this thing. And, I, and, then, he, and then he's on, he's on YouTube learning pruning. I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> this kid's really into this. And he's out there, you know. <laughs> phone's right here. And I'm like, wow, he's right into it. And then I, I went away. I was, I was in a conference in Alabama, and I get a call. She's like, Dad! It happened! It's like, what happened? It's like, we got tomatoes! <laughs> All right. That's pretty awesome. Because I saw the process and I saw how serious he was into it. 
You know, now you stick it tomatoes out and put it up. Dad, you gotta let it, you gotta let it get sun. It's green, but with the sun, it will get color. So now we, we're eating our own tomatoes. Has someone decided on purpose? We're gonna get some tomatoes. Right? We say we want fruits, but are we really serious of putting ourselves through that process of seeing fruits? See, Paul says, I don't want to preach to others and be disqualified. What Paul was saying is, I don't want to just tell you to do this and I'm not doing it. Right? We all have been there, right? Like, do what I say, not as I do. There cannot be a disconnect between what I'm telling you and what I'm doing. In a way, what Paul was saying is, he said, I want to live the good news and I want to tell you the good news. Because I can't tell you the good news if I'm not living the good news. And it's not good news if I'm not living it. It's just a great idea. <laughs> See, I, go, I believe this. I love that Paul used a lot of sports analogy because that's how I look, at, I look at church like that. The goal is to be a coach and a player. That, that's what he's saying is, hey, I, I'm your spiritual coach, but I also, I'm also playing in the game. Right? I, I'm not just telling you what to do. I'm doing it with you in this process. And I believe that that should be the goal of every mature believer. Like, I want to I wanna play and I want to coach. Like, I want to be a disciple and a mentor. I want to be a discipler and a disciple. And that's the true mature person is that, man, I'm always doing both, right? I don't want to lose credibility. And, and he says, I don't want to be disqualified, which means, like, I don't want to lose your respect. And I don't want to lose my eternal reward. He says, I, I don't want to just pretend that I'm doing this. And unfortunately, a lot of times I think, I think a lot of times I see in church, there's a lot of shadow boxing going on. But it's like, man, but then when you look at, you look at the daily regiment, and you're like, man, you're not really serious yet. You're not serious unless you're implementing the mature habits that, that, that athletes will implement to win something that fades away. But it's like, man, you're, you're in this for eternity. Like, you shouldn't take that lightly. This is for the whole marbles, man. This is it. Right? This is like, this is why Jesus said, why win the world that fades away but lose your soul? This is like eternal stuff we're talking about here. What do great athletes do? They have mature habits. I want to talk to you about three, three things that I believe a mature spiritual athlete will implement. I want to talk to you about three things real quick. I want to talk to you about your diet, your exercise, and your confidence. As I watched these documentaries, I saw this. It's a, it's a process of dieting, exercising, and building confidence to be a great Olympian, and I believe to be a great believer. Now listen, when I say diet, we all get weird. I'm not talking about that diet, because I have, listen, I have no business telling you about that diet. <laughs> so, so let me put everybody at ease. I'm your spiritual coach. I'm gonna talk about your spiritual diet. Because <laughs> physically, I have no room, no business. You know, my wife, oh, she's not over here. She preaches me about my physical diet, okay? I, I, I need help, okay? So I want to talk to you about your spiritual diet. Because the regimen that they take themselves through is so gruesome because they, they need their body to be in top shape. And I think spiritually speaking, we need our souls to be in top shape. So we got to watch our diet. Most specifically, I think that it's about what you're bringing into your life that we need to watch. To be more clear, what, I, what, I'm, what I'm saying is we got to cut down 
on our worldly intake if we're going to be mature believers. I came across this quote. I don't know who was it, but so I don't know who to give credit to, but I love this quote. He said this. He said, wake up and stop falling prey to the conditioning of the media and society around you. Like, man, that's someone who is on track. Wake up and stop falling prey to the conditioning. Conditioning. Conditioning is what you need to get healthy, right? He says, stop falling prey to the condition of the media and society around you. Why? Because we are being conditioned. The Bible puts it this way. Here's Paul again. In Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, he says, don't conform to the patterns of this world but be transformed by renewal of your mind. Another version says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. That's what conditioning is. So we gotta watch our worldly intake. The quote goes on to say, it says, only those people who are awake that live in a state of constant amazement. The world is trying to lure you to sleep. And the sad thing is, I think we're so conditioned by it, we're not even realizing it. Because we're so used to it. It's become part of us without even realizing that everything in the world, there's a worldview attached to it. There's nothing that you take in that doesn't have a worldview attached to it. The moment you wake up in the morning, what's most people doing the moment they wake up in the morning? The moment they wake up in the morning, they, 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 they open this thing to get fed. And it's the saddest thing in the world that the moment you wake up in the world, the world is telling you, go ahead, come drink from us, come eat. Most people wake up, first thing they do is go on Facebook instead of going to his book. And we wonder why we wake up already with, with anger and bitterness and cynicism and frustration. This is a tough one to teach. I hope you track with me, but there is a worldview attached to everything. And the problem is you could be in church, but live by worldly influence. You could be in the church right now, but your mind is being shaped by the world. You're being conditioned by the world instead of being conditioned by the word. How do I know? Let me ask you a couple of questions. How have you conditioned your mind to make decisions? Because every decision comes from somewhere. Is God's word truly the word of God in my life or is it just a suggestion? Because every day I'm making decisions and choices. It all depends on what's, how my, is my mind conditioned. Do I just go to church and do what I think is right in my own eyes or do I really follow God? There's a worldview attached to everything. You have to understand this. There's a, there are, listen, get this. There are no neutral grounds. Every media outlet has a bias to it. There's not, listen, there's no longer genuine reporting the news. If you haven't seen that, you, you, you are alert to sleep. Every single news outlet has an agenda. Every sitcom that you watch has an agenda attached to it. Why? Because screenwriters don't write from an empty place. They write from a place of their worldview. 
Every music you listen to has a worldview attached to it. Why? No one has tabula rasa. No one is coming from an empty place. They're coming from a place of a worldview. And if you're not discerning our way through it, we're just, we're just inviting all that stuff into our lives and we wonder why our souls feel sluggish. Why our souls feel out of shape. Why sometimes, to be honest with you, in church, we're teaching you the word of God, but it struggles with you because your worldly influence and intake is greater than the word of God. And now you're thinking we're judging you instead of realizing we're trying to wake you up to the reality of what God says. Because, my friends, when it comes to a mature believer, when it comes to his diet, the bread and butter of a mature believer is scripture and obedience. That's the bread and butter of a mature believer. A mature believer is always in the word because he knows that's God's word for me. That's how I eat to stay in shape and to stay focused. It's how I make decisions. My friends, I'm seeing this. Listen, listen, hear me on this. It's impossible, I mean impossible, to follow Jesus and not be at odds with society. It's impossible. You have to make up your mind. You're either going to follow Jesus or, or you're going to follow the world, but you can't have both. I tell people all the time, this might sound crazy, but I say, listen, you either go all in for Jesus or go all out for the world. If not, you're just going to be miserable trying to do both. It's impossible because it doesn't matter what I bring up or what topic I bring up. There is two contrasting worldviews on these topics right now. The mature believer views the world through the word of God. So think about it, right? Let me just, let me just make my point here. There's contrasting worldviews. If I bring up sex, there's a worldly way of going about it. And there's a godly way of going about it. If I bring up money, there's a worldly way of handling money. There's a godly way of handling money. By the way, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil, not money. It says if you, if you love money more than God, then you're going to serve money. But if you love God more than money, then God becomes a great resource because God is a money is a terrible God. Like, sometimes I meet with people and I say, you're about to make a decision on a career or on a job. Are you making it based on money or are you making it based on God? Because I've seen people make decisions based on money and, and sooner than later, they become miserable. Why? Because you just bowed your knees to that God. If I bring up parenting, there is a godly way of doing it and then there's a worldly way of doing it. And by the way, like, if you're not involved this year in your school with your kids, listen, watch out, because that worldly worldview is coming home. Like, listen, I hate to say this, but no longer do we, can we just trust teachers blindly, because they have a worldview. It's no longer science class, it's a science class with a twist. No longer is it just history class, it's history class with a twist. Like this whole craziness about critical race theory, all I wanna to say to the world is, man, come to church and see diversity and how it's done. We don't have to force people into diversity. 
I don't know about you, but man, I don't take it for granted that we're here right now in New Bedford, Massachusetts, a liberal state, but look around you. We got people from all walks of life. We have all races. We have all culture. We have all types of background. Listen, you want to know critical race theory? Come to church and see them. The Bible says they come from every tribe, language, nation, and they worship the same Jesus. So don't teach my kid any lies. We, we, we have to take ownership of our kids' education. Like, we do this at home. We have to debrief them every day. What'd you learn today? Walk me through your science class. Walk me through your math. What the heck are you doing with math? What happened to two plus two is equal four? <laughs> now it's like two plus half of a point plus two. In this, you might get four. <laughs> what the heck are we doing? Listen, we can go on and on. I can, I can mention so many things that we're going to have contrasting worldviews. Here, here, this is where I'm at, man. This is just me. But I am not going to open myself up to being preached by a group of people who have no understanding of who God is and who the world is all about. Like, I, I'm just, I don't need it. And I've, I've taken some steps Towards that. Again, this is just me. This is where I'm at. But since, since the election, I haven't watched the news once. I decided there's nothing that they can tell me because all of them, I don't care what side of the spectrum you're on, you do not care about people. You care about your ratings. You care about your biases. You care about making money. Like, you don't care about people. And you're like, so pastor, how do you stay informed? I'll tell you how I stay informed. I have this thing over here on my phone. It tells me top priorities, top stories. So I read the, the, the top stories and then I'm informed. <laughs> That's it. Because I don't need to open up that world of fear. Matter of fact, listen, pay attention. Like now all of a sudden they want to make us all racist. You're the racist for keeping playing that we're racist. Like, seriously, all of a sudden, we're all divided. All of a sudden, none of us get along. But when I talk to people on the ground, like, that's not what's really happening when you talk to real people in real time every single day. I have zero social media on my phone. Because I don't need that. I, I don't need it. I don't need to wake up and have Facebook telling me how terrible things are out there. The first thing I go to is the Bible app and I read the verse of the day and I'm like, God, today. You gotta cut in your worldly intake if you wanna be a focused believer who is going to produce the right fruits. Everybody says they don't have a problem. I was telling the youth, I spoke to the interns this week. I said, don't look at it that way. If you look at it that way, you're missing the point. It's not that you have a problem or not. Ask yourself a better question. Ask this question. When you're done with social media each day, how do you feel? That's the question you need to be asking. Because no, most, for majority part, 90% of addicts don't tell you they have a problem. <laughs> I have a problem. I can stop anytime I want. Well, why haven't you stopped? Okay, I'll just leave it alone, you know. The second thing is exercise. You know, when you go to the gym, if you do, God bless. 
you don't focus on every single part of the muscle in one day. Only immature people do that. You ever see those people? <laughs> and then you don't see them for another six months. <laughs> or here's my favorite one, people at the gym, but they're not doing anything. You ever see people at the gym? It's like, Took you 30 minutes to post that thing next to the treadmill, you could have been running. <laughs> hey, you need a routine when you go to the gym. My friends, understand we are in a spiritual gym right now. The church is meant to be a spiritual gym where you pick up the weights of worship and prayer and giving and testimony and serving. These are weights. It's not just, oh, oh that's a nice song. Yeah, but did you work out? <laughs> I don't like that song. Oh, you don't like working out. I don't know anyone who truly enjoys working out. Well, I got one guy, his name is Julius. He goes to Smithfield campus. That dude loves to work out. I was in best shape of my life when I was working out with Julius because he loved to work out. That, that dude works, works out to worship songs. I'm like, what? who are you? Like who, who, who listens to oceans on the treadmill? Like, I'm not even saved when I'm running on the treadmill. <laughs> I'm trying to be saved running on the treadmill. You're over here like, spirit leads me. I'm like, how are you doing this? But no, but you need, you need a discipline of, of spiritual disciplines. Listen, I, I, I gotta go quick. So let me show you this, this tool. It's a book because I believe that you, you, you grow by reading. Your brain is a muscle. It needs to be exercised. Because you have the other people, right? You have the people that go to the gym every single day but their brains is like, <laughs> dude, read a book, man. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like some dudes are jacked physically but they're like, yo, you, you, your soul is so out of shape. <laughs> uh, y'all ain't gonna talk to me about, y'all leave me up here by myself. Thank you. All the dudes that go to the gym and skip leg days. <laughs> no, but you, you, need a, you need a process, right? Because, because what they do is they focus on different muscles, right? And the same thing spiritually speaking, right? So this book is one of my favorites. I, I, was, I was introduced to it, I was in college and it just really changed my life. Understanding that there's spiritual disciplines that I can implement in my life. That if I develop a weekly and monthly routine, guess what? Six months from now, I might yield some fruits. Notice I said six months. I didn't say next week. My son didn't see tomatoes the next week. But look, celebration of discipline. If I can get you to read one book after the Bible, this is it right here. This is a Christian classic. And the beauty of this is you don't have to read it in order. You can, you can own in on a discipline. Uh, you want to you wanna have a better prayer life? The beauty of this book is it's not just theories. It's, it's exercises. It teaches you how to do each one of these things. And he talks about how you need inward discipline, outward, and corporate. Right now we're doing corporate discipline. When you come to church, we're working out together. Right now, today, we picked up the weights of worship, of prayer, of preaching. Pretty soon... We're gonna open up the altar, that's another way of exercising. We're gonna have fellowship, that's the exercise. Like, there's so many ways to exercise your spiritual being. 
but it's up to you to implement a routine. The way I look at church is, to me, Sunday mornings is the locker room time. That's how I look at it. We come to get our assignments together. But it really matters is what you do with it tomorrow morning. Because the real game is tomorrow. This is coaching. Tomorrow we play. Some of us, the moment you leave here, it's going to be put at the test. So it's about implementing disciplines that's going to yield fruits long term and keep you grounded and rooted in the ways of God. So I highly recommend you check out this book because here's, here's what I'm hoping and, and I want to challenge you with this. Be rooted long enough to reap the benefits. See, some people don't stick around long enough to see the fruits. Some people come to church for a couple of weeks and then they, they drop. It's like, man, you, you didn't give it enough time. Here's my, I've always said this. If you're serious about God, you gotta at least give him a year of full attention. Because he's gotta undo all the stuff you did before in order to position you to be able to hear fruits for the future. So, no one who goes to the gym once a week is serious enough. And that's the problem. I think we're not serious enough about our eternal souls. We started this series by talking about do you have a plan for your soul? Because it's amazing. You meet people, they have a plan for how they're going to pay their mortgage. They have a plan for how they're going to buy a house. They have a plan for how they're going to get a job. But it's like, what about your soul? That's the only thing that lasts forever. Like, don't you know that, that house you bought, one day someone else is going to have it? Like, like the job that you're fighting over, one day could shut down. Like your soul is the only thing that goes forever. So why not have a plan for those things, but also your soul? Like, I should have a, a weekly focus to say, this is our one. Like, like, this book, what I love about it is to say, hey, I can just zero in on one discipline. I can jump into chapter eight and focus on submission, for example, or, or simplicity, or solitude, whatever it is. Like, I'm big on solitude. Like, listen, part of growing up spiritually is you got to know yourself. Like, I need time alone. That's how I re refocus. That's how I re-energize. That's how I stay grounded. And, and people may see me up here. They think, like, he's always like this. No, this is only Sundays. My wife will tell you. There's a joke in my house. Dad, you're only funny on Sundays. Because God just graces me for two hours, and after that, God's like, you're on your own. Like, I'm not gonna make you funny. But you gotta know yourself. You gotta know what works for you. Some people get re-energized by being around other people that, that, that can speak life into them, right? But you gotta be faithful in it in order to see fruits. The last thing is confidence. You need diet, exercise, and confidence. Why? Because athletes will tell you that any sport you play is 90% mental. Confidence is a big part of life. Matter of fact, we saw the, 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 the main story of this Olympics was about confidence. Young lady, Simona Biles, who was the greatest Olympian in her field ever. She's the GOAT, she's the greatest of all time. Like she has more medals, she, she has routines based after her own name. Like she was a lock for gold before it even started. Everybody was like, yeah, she's just, she's just gonna win more gold. No question about it. And then what happened? She lost her confidence. If you go back and watch it, matter of fact, she did a routine, came out and said, I don't trust myself. 
and that was it. She backed away from competing. And they call this the twisties in their terms. A mental block when an athlete loses their spatial awareness during an intense routine. She's like, I, I can't do it. I've lost the confidence. And this is someone who's done it again and again and again, has won more medals than anybody else. But in that moment, her confidence was gone. And I was thinking this, how easy, right? For me, in the comfort of my home, struggling with my own inconsistency, to know what she should have done in that moment. Isn't that amazing how we are? Like, the world was going nuts over it. You know what I would have done? Yeah, you out of shape in your living room <laughs> with the donut in your hand. You can't even fit in the lead tar. You, you couldn't even. You know what I would have done? Like, no, you wouldn't have done nothing. You can't even be in that room. Never mind ever say, isn't it amazing how we're so good at telling everybody else what they need to do? But have you, ever, have, you, have you ever been human enough to know that we all lose confidence? Like even the people that are like, ah, it's like, come on, get out of here, you, you're lying. We all get insecure from time to time. We all lose confidence. So how do we regain confidence as believers? To me, my friends, it's what, it's what we do what Jesus said. Jesus said, abide in me. And my words will abide in you. Then you will bear much fruit. This is where you got to be aware of who you are to know, hey, right now, my insecurity is getting the best of me. I need to go sit with Jesus. Or I need, I need to get around some godly voices right now. You see, the other thing that I think is jacking up our maturity is lack of godly voices in our lives. I'll tell you something, man, when I'm struggling with insecurity, because I do, I need to sit with Jesus and I, I, I need to ask intercessors to pray. I just did it. Man, I had the twisties the last couple of months. I've been going through it mentally. And I reach out to some people and I will pray. And I said, I need you to to commit to praying, because man, I'm in, my, I'm in my head. And then I begin to hear words back from them, and those words attached to my one-on-one -on -one with Jesus begins to lift the cloud, it begins to lift the veil, and you begin to get your, your focus back. <laughs> Problem is sometimes, my friends, the, the enemy doesn't have to do anything. We have the wrong people doing it for him. I'm serious. Some of y'all, this is, this is a great word for you. You receive it and you go home. And wh who do you, who speaks into your life? We all need unchurched friends to reach, but your inner circle should be godly. Because, man, I need to be completely vulnerable sometimes. I need to be open and say, man, I'm struggling right now. And I don't need a secular advice. I need a godly advice, and sometimes the best they can do is pray, man. Man, I believe in the power of prayer. I just saw it again. I just saw it build me up and strengthen me in my moment of twisties, because we all have them. 
Abiding is about being completely yourself. See, we have many things we do today as a church, right? We worship, we pray, we listen to the word. But, you know, one of my favorite parts is the altar. It's a place to abide. It's a place to just be. See, we have to break the stigma of the altar. Like, you know, it's where sinners go. It's like where, aren't we all? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, and it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with saying, Jesus, I just need to come and sit with you for a little bit. Nothing needs to be going on. I just need to get my bearings from you. I need to leave this place knowing that I'm secured under your grace and mercy. Because if not, listen, this is, this is a serious word. When you are insecure, you're looking for security. The problem is sometimes we go outwardly instead of going in. So we go, watch, looking for it. Notice God the Father says to God the Son, you are my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Why does God the Father need to tell God the Son? Because God the Father is speaking from a place here. God the Son is down there in the muck, in the mire, and, and everything going on. He's very human, and he needs to be reassured, I got you. And Jesus often will withdraw to pray. Why? He needs to be reminded, reassured, I am who you say I am. And I can do what you say I can do. We need, listen, Richard Foster talks about it in his book. He says, the enemy of your soul is not the devil. He says, you have three enemies. He says, it's rush, noise, and crowds. He says, we're always in a rush. So it's hard for you to hear the audible voice of the Holy Spirit when you're always rushing from place to place. Even in church, sometimes we're rushing to get out of here. Instead of taking this holy moment in. He says, you are always in a crowd because you don't know how to be alone. He says, noise. He says, you go home, what do you do? You have to put on TV or you got to put on something because you can't, you don't know how to just be still and know your God. I believe the Holy Spirit is here right now, man. When, when you take time to just be still, you will hear his voice. And sometimes you're not going to hear it, but guess what? You got to condition yourself to hear his voice. That's what a routine is. Just learning to be still. Like our society, we're always, we're like, we can live in the same house and be passing ships in the night. I was talking to my wife about that. I'm like, man, we went, out, we went like two or three weeks without really having a conversation because we're so busy. We're like, man, we need to sit, like we need to have a moment because life will just, and, you, and listen, this is what I'm learning. Don't just assume that everything is good. Unless you've checked under the hood. The reason why I felt compelled to start service today by telling you you belong because I feel like there are voices telling you you don't. There are voices telling you you're no good and, 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 you, and you'll never be no good because you've had a rough week or whatever. Man, listen, I pray you're coming under the sanctuary of God. Like, listen, the more of a bad week you had, the more you need to be in the sanctuary of God. Would you stand with me as we pray out? You know, great athletes, they never stop learning. That's what fascinates me about these people, man. They, they're always doing something. I told you, uh, we have an internship, which is going really well, where we have 53 high school kids in an internship right now. And I got to be with them this week, and I told them, I said, guys, 
well, that's very heavy. I was like, I'm about to elevate on that one. It's like, But I was telling him this week, I said, listen, be curious. Don't stop learning. See, if, I believe this with all my heart. I tell my kids this all the time. If you say you're bored, that's on you. You put that on yourself. I told him, I said, guys, I don't feel that I need to entertain you. I'm not a, I'm not a clown in a circus. <laughs> it's what do you want to get out of it? When I, when I used to teach, anytime we had a guest speaker, I would be right in the front taking notes because I'm like, I, I don't want to ever stop learning. Sometimes we'd be students preaching and I still would take notes because I want to know, like, hey, I want you to know, like, I want to always learn. I was in a conference with John Maxwell, which is probably the guru of leadership. You know what John Maxwell was doing that entire conference when he wasn't speaking? In the front row, like this. And you think, the guy has written a hundred books. What else is there to learn? He says, never stop learning. Because there's always something you can improve on. There's always something you can get better on. See, if you're bored, you're just a boring person. Break up your routine, mix it up. Let me just give you some practical things. Look, teach yourself something new. My son was on YouTube learning how to prune. <laughs> He's 10. Like, teach yourself something new. Like, that's the beauty of the world, is to be explored. Be willing to fail so you can get better. Get on a different ministry team. Some of y'all, you're in a rut because you've been on the same team. But guess what? It's all one team. Get on a different team and see what God will do. Just change it up. We're about to start cruise. Lead a crew for the first time. Take a chance and see what God will do. Just say, God, I just, I just want to take a chance, man. I just want to give me four or five people so we can journey together and see what God will do. Some of y'all, go Take a class online. Take workshops. If I, during COVID, we couldn't go anywhere, but I was taking workshops on Zoom. It's like workshops from purgatory on Zoom. If, if I can go away with one, not having one more Zoom, I'll be good. Anybody else? You know, like, I'm Zoomed out. But go on a mission trip. We have a team going to K-Verde. I'm so excited. And we're going to K-Verde. But go somewhere and learn something new. If you're stuck, just change the routine. I read different translations just so I don't get stuck. Like right now, we're doing the 60 days of the Bible, which by the way, like we gave you a booklet to read. If you're not reading it, you're not exercising. It's cute, but it needs to be exercised. But right now, I decided during this season, it's NIV. Why? I just want to mix it up. I teach from the New Living because I believe it's clear, but I, I, I will study with all different translations just so I don't get stuck on seeing the Bible the same way. And by the way, if anybody ever says the Bible is boring, <laughs> man, you're out of your mind. You're a boring person. You know, there's layers to this thing. Like, there's layers upon layers of this thing if you're doing it right. It's just a matter of, do I have the heart to want to learn? See, I've never bought into, like, people who say they're not being fed. It's like, man, what are you, two years old? Feed yourself. I'm not learning. I'm not growing. Well, then do something about it. <laughs> do something. Which the funny thing is, it's like, are you paying attention every Sunday? 
Stop there. Because I think that we have enough in 52 Sundays to live a really good life if we're applying it. So here's how Paul says it. This is the message translation of what we read in the beginning. Watch, he says, you've all been to the stadium and seen all the athletes race. Everyone runs, one wins, run to win. All good athletes train hard. They do it for a gold medal that tarnish and fades. You're after one that's gold eternally. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. No sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else all about it, and then missing out myself. That's the coach and the player. So we're going to open up a time of prayer. I hope you abide for a little bit. Just take five, ten minutes and just say, God, I just want to be with you. Just want to be. There's no rush, because rush is the enemy of the soul. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will come and confirm your word in our hearts and our minds. Father, I pray, Lord, help us to track the intake of the world so we don't confirm to it. God, I pray, Lord, that, that today, Lord, we're going home with the resolve of implementing spiritual disciplines. And above all, God, we want to abide in you so we can live life from a place of confidence, not insecurities. So Holy Spirit, come have your way, we pray. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.